0: Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Our scripture reading this morning is from 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules." The hard-working farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. The sermon I want to preach this morning came from last Sunday. and I wasn't here. I enjoy holding gospel meetings and, and going to different congregations to preach through the year. Last week I was in Texas in the... Guadalupe Valley in Texas. That's a, uh, it's a suburb, I guess you'd say, of San Antonio. It's about a, about a half an hour out of San Antonio. And this is the New Brunsville, Texas uh, part of that valley. Well, it was a strange thing. I, I had a gospel meeting scheduled. It was on the schedule. And so got ready to, to go, I don't know, a couple of weeks ahead. And so corresponding with Jeremy, who was my contact about the final details of the meeting. And that's just how these things are carried out. And he said, now, uh, Glenn, we, we, don't, we thought that we would have a good place for a gospel meeting to occur, but we really don't. And so would you be willing just to come for Sunday? Sure. What, you know, whatever I can do uh, to help. And so I traveled on Saturday. I preached all day Sunday. And then I came back to Huntsville, Alabama, on Monday, after I got there, I learned more about it. This is a house church. So a couple of years ago, maybe a little more, you had four couples getting together. The problem was that in New Brunsfeld, they didn't have a faithful congregation of the Church of Christ. And so they wrestled with that. What are you going to do about that? And maybe what you could do, of course, is drive a long distance and come. To a congregation, find a congregation, draw, drive that way, and, and and I guess that's what they did for a while. And but the problem is, it just wasn't working out, and and so they decided that they would start a new congregation of the Church of Christ. And what they would do, and it was four families, they they would just start a house church. How's that grab you? Well, I went. At 10 o'clock, we had Bible study, and I taught a Bible class, and and then we had worship. We were in a, a house. Uh, it was, a, I guess, an average house. Fortunately, the den area was where we met, and we had about 30 people. Their regular attendance is about 25, so we had some visitors. So it was kind of an open, airy, uh, airy kind of den, and the kitchen was right there. And the, the women brought food, and so we had Bible class, took a bathroom break, and then we had worship. And we, in which of course we ate the Lord's Supper and, and then after that was finished, we all ate and visited and had a good time right there in the same spot. They put up some tables and we just ate and, and then after, after we ate, we visited and the afternoon service was at two o'clock. Now sometimes what they do during the lunch and the afternoon service at two is to just go out and knock doors. Set up Bible studies. They take turn about, about which house they worship in. So if it's your turn, the church would worship at your house for a month. In the next month, maybe at my house. And it would rotate like that. And so I enjoyed getting to know these Christians, and it was a wonderful time. And I came back, and I thought, okay, we, we have to talk about this. We, we need, we, so I, I want to preach a sermon. So I sat down and wrote this sermon to, to talk about today. And it's not for the purpose of saying that what they're doing is better than, than our having this building And doing what we're doing. That's not the point. The point is that I want to make sure that all of us in this room understand a fundamental principle about the church of Christ. This is just so important. What we cannot do gradually over time, and this has happened to churches, gradually over time to where we do a thing a particular way and we just finally figure that that's the only way to do it. Some things are left to judgment and and how we do it is one way, but not the only way. And here's a great example of that. It's a house church. It's, it's a house church. That's where the church meets. Six things. Here's the first one. They, they didn't get anybody's permission to do this. Now, I, I don't want you to take that for granted because it, it's illustrative of something very fundamental about the church of Christ. We are about... Restoring New Testament Christianity. That means to say that what we do for our authority is to go back to the New Testament and say, how did they do this? Uh, what is the authority for what we do? And, and in reference to the hierarchy of, of the church, we're very different. Now, you, don't you be looking at the church of Christ and saying, no, they're different because they don't have an organ or a band or a guitar. They don't. Well, that's different, but that's, that's only a part of it. Don't say they're they're really different because they believe you have to be baptized to be saved. Well, that's different, but that's just a part of it. The root of that is that what we're saying to people is we go back to the New Testament. Now, if you want to start a, a church in a community, a man made church, you uh, you're going to go through a lot. Now, I didn't I, I didn't spend much time on this. You can just Google it. You can put in a mainline denomination of some sort religion, man-made religion, and you can say, how do I start one of these churches in my city, in my town? Now, brace yourself. Maybe you're not going to be surprised about this, but I thought it was pretty interesting as you contrast it to how you start a congregation of the Church of Christ in your community. When they started this one in Texas, they didn't ask anybody. They didn't have to get a writ. they didn't have to get permission. they didn't have to pay dues some to somebody. They they didn't have to get, well, anyway, here we go. Here, what if you want to start a Catholic church in your community? How do you start what they would call a new parish? I just looked up how do you start a Catholic church in your town. Here's the answer. Live in an area where numbers of Catholics is, the numbers of Catholics is growing and expanding. There's a long way to go to get to the parish church. Get together with other Catholics in the area. Discuss your need for a new parish in your area. Ready? petition the bishop of the diocese to establish a new parish there, along with crunching the demographic numbers about potential growth distance to current established parishes and so on. Be prepared to help foot the bill for the construction of the new facilities and the employment of ministry personnel, including a priest. Once the bishop establishes a new parish and assigns a pastor, become part of the new parish, help it grow and succeed. Eventually, a new church... Offices, other needed facilities will be built. Obviously, this is terribly simplified. It happens over a span of several years. You've got to get permission. It's very much like you can't just you can't just build a hamburger joint restaurant and, and put the name McDonald's on it. They're going to come pay you a visit if you do that because that's their brand, right? And you have to fit their mold in order to be a McDonald's. Well, it's true about religion. Seventh-day Adventists. This is from their manual, a church organized by an ordained pastor on the recommendation of the conference executive committee. Parenthetically, for the procedure for organizing a company, see page 37 and 38. So, so much is involved in the organization of the church. The local conference president should be invited to be present. When a company of baptized believers is prepared to assume the responsibilities of an organized church, it must consult with the conference president and obtain approval from the conference executive committee prior to seeking a date for the organization to take place. When the baptized believers assemble on the agreed-upon date, the individual officiating should first present a brief review of the fundamental beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventists. you got to get permission, and you have to have the leading hierarchical people to come and be a part of this. How about Southern Baptists? This gets closer to home website, Southern Baptist Convention Voices. Quote, one of the long-running narratives about our grand old convention is that it doesn't take much to become a Southern Baptist church. He says, that's a false narrative. Here's what it takes. The local SBC associations have extensive and detailed requirements and processes for churches to join. There are 1,116 SBC associations. I can offer an anecdotal report for the handful of associations in which I have participated there are committees involved, examinations of, indo- of doctrine and practices, a waiting period, and a formal vote for acceptance at the association's annual meeting. I just wanted to give you a flavor of that. I just randomly picked those and Googled them. And I, so you could go on with that. But the point is that when these people started a house church, because there wasn't a faithful congregation in that area, they didn't ask anybody. Now, bear in mind that the church is autonomous. That's the word that we use. The word autonomous means self-governing. And here's how this goes in Scripture, in the New Testament. Acts 14 and verse 23 says that they ordained elders in every church. Titus 1.5 says they ordained elders or were to ordain elders. Uh, Titus was to ordain elders in every city. It's the same thing. Every church was to have her own elders. And when you get to 1 Peter chapter 5, what? Peter writes, is that the elders are over the church, which is among them. So each eldership would be over the congregation, but not beyond that. So the West Huntsville elders don't have jurisdiction, if you please, over congregations separate from this. It's just the people who are among them. What that spells out is autonomy. That's a beautiful concept. Because if we have a hierarchy, if we have a national headquarters or a world headquarters of the churches of Christ, and what happens is that, and you've seen this happen an awful lot, haven't you? If it goes bad at the top, the whole is corrupted. In this case, if a congregation of the church of Christ goes to the left or goes to the right, becomes unfaithful, they're the ones who are affected. The other congregations are not. They remain faithful to the Lord. Whether or not we think that's the best procedure, and I do, it's not really up to us. It's, It's that that's what the New Testament teaches. The church is autonomous. So here's the first thing I want you to get about this house church in Texas is that they didn't ask anybody's permission. Now, here's number two, is that they don't have a regular preacher. The man who was contacting me is just one of the members, and, and they don't have a regular preacher, so they rotate among the faithful men who are willing to do this. And now that doesn't mean that anybody could just preach any old thing, of course. They want to stay faithful to the Word, but they don't have a regular preacher. They invite sometimes men to come in and preach, visiting preachers sometimes, but the regular course is that they just rotate through the congregation And men take turn about preaching from the scriptures. Now that's very interesting, but what would you expect if you follow the New Testament? What do you have to be to be a gospel preacher? Whose permission must you get? And how do you be ordained in order to do this? Who who signs off on that? And what kind of documentation do you need to be a gospel preacher? And the answer is, you don't. The answer is that you go to the book of Romans, and I think this is a great case study for this. In the New Testament time, you had people preaching. At first, you had the apostles. They were the primary preachers when Jesus had resurrected and ascended back to the Father. And you have the apostles, and of course, they were the primary ones. But then, aside from that, you just had men who would go and preach. I love the book of Romans. You get to chapter 1, and Paul says, now, I sure would like to come to you. See, Paul hadn't been to Rome. By the way, parenthetically, neither had Peter. They didn't have an apostle. That causes some people a lot of heartburn, but Peter hadn't been there. No biblical evidence Peter ever went to Rome, but that's another story. Paul said, I sure would like to come and be with you so that I could impart some miraculous gifts to you, some spiritual gifts. They didn't have them because no apostle had been there. I believe the exception to that would be from Acts chapter 2. Now, here's the interesting thing. Beginning in verse 7, and you have all the different nations that are at Pentecost there when they on the day the church was established, all these different So you have the Medes, and you have the Elamites, and then you come down and it says, and the visitors from Rome. So that's pretty interesting. The visitors from Rome. And apparently what happens is these people were there at Pentecost. They were baptized. I believe that they received miraculous gifts, which would have included knowledge. How else would they know what to preach and teach? But they go back home again. They're not they're not special preachers. They're just Christians. They just happen to be men who know the, the word and now they've got this knowledge and they begin to preach, but they don't have the ability to confirm the miraculous gifts to others. But when Paul writes the book of Romans, there's a church there. There's a church there because people have been preaching. So number two is, in this church in Texas, they, they don't have a regular preacher. They have preaching. They take turn about. They invite visitors, visiting preachers to come in. They don't have a regular preacher. Now, here's number three, and this is more important than having a regular preacher. Incidentally, it's not wrong to have a regular preacher. I'm glad to be able to tell you that. But what's more important than having a regular preacher is that they claim the Bible to be their only authority. Sola Scriptura. That it is only the Bible. Now, That's something they've agreed on. That's something which is in concrete. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, on this rock I will build my church. That's what Jesus said. And then in Acts chapter 2, those people were added to the church. What church is that? What denomination is that? And the answer is, it's no denomination. It's the church that Jesus was talking about when he said, on this rock I will build my church. Now, how long did, did God intend for that to last? until the trumpet blows, until the judgment day. Now, let's go to numbers or Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 15. Now, in this passage, the Hebrews writer observes that that the New Testament is the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. Get this concept in your mind. When you hold the New Testament in your lap right now, and I'm holding mine in my hand, I'm holding the will, the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. Now, we understand that concept with people, and we understand that honesty dictates that after a person dies, whoever's left behind and is in charge of that, the executor or executrix of that will is, is bound to carry that out just according to what the deceased declared, right? Well, what Hebrews writer is saying is that that's true, and he makes reference in the last, a testament as a force after men are dead, that he says the testament of Jesus Christ is the New Testament. You have the Old Testament and you have the New Testament. How long is that supposed to last? supposed to last until the trumpet blows. That's how long. More important than whether or not this church has a regular preacher is that all of the people in the church view the Bible as being the the sole authority for what they do in their faith and their practice. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10, I I beseech you that you all speak the same thing. I love that. It's so contrary to religion as we know it. it. It should read, if it was more like today's religion, it should read... I beseech you that you all express your own feelings about how the church should be conducted. That's not what it says. I want you to say that, speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. Now, 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 6. Now, I don't want you to think of men, are you ready for this? Above that which is written. What does the book say? What does the Bible say? Because that's who we are. We want to restore New Testament Christianity. Here's Ephesians chapter 4. There is, and you're familiar with this, one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. How long will it be before that evolves and changes to when there's several of each? And the answer is, there's never going to be any more than one, right? There will never, will never be more than one of each of these things. Here's one more. Second John 9. Whoever transgresses, and abides not in the doctrine of Christ has not God. In this particular congregation, they don't have a regular preacher. Now, there's a benefit to having a regular preacher. And and some of you in this room, many of you in this room, occasionally preach. And you do a terrific job. And and I uh, I am so happy when I get to listen to our man preach. On Wednesday nights, by the way, I almost never offer the invitation. Almost never. Used to. But but we started asking the men, is, would you like to do this? And what happened is that we got a list that was so very long and it's always sustained. The list just keeps on going and so men sign up and they do this and it's just so healthy for the church and they do a terrific job. But it's not easy for a man who carries a secular job to make a living. It's not easy for him to preach every Sunday. Preparing lessons upon lessons upon Lessons. What happens is that something's going to something 's going to have to give that 's going to be very hard so it 's not, it's not wrong to have a localized preacher and we, we do and, and i 'm thankful for that I love what I do in this case, they take turns they invite some people to come in it 's not as hard on any one man, but they don 't have a local preacher and here 's number four ready for this they don 't have a building now they 're not uh, they're not glued to this and ultimately I think they'll have a building. That's not my point. I mean, they know. The church is about evangelism and so they're going to keep teaching and baptizing people and the number will grow to where it won't fit in a person's living room. That's, that's what's going to happen. That's what should happen. They're going to have to have a bigger place to worship. That's not my point. The point is that they're the church right now. The church is the people. and And... Frankly, where they assemble is rather incidental. It is important to me that all of us in this church understand that there are some things which are essential and other things which are just expedient. Some things which are essential and some things that are just not not necessities. They don't have a a church building. Now, just, just so you know, worshiping in houses was terribly familiar, very familiar to the first century Christians. They would have thought that where we are today was very strange. A church-owned facility, and don't we have a beautiful place? And this is wonderful, and it's so conducive to worship and to Bible classes and to all that we do together as a church family. But now here's here's, here's Acts chapter 2 and verse 46. Now you're familiar with this. Have you considered that it says, they continued daily with one accord in the temple, so they assembled some at the temple, in the temple grounds... And breaking of bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God. Praising God and having favor with all the people. Lord, out of the church, daily such, being saved. Where do they worship? Well, excuse me, but it sounds an awful lot like what this church in Texas is doing. They worship at this house for a month, then they worship at that house for a month, and they, they just have a cyclical kind of a system. That's how they do it. I'm not saying it's the only way to do it. It's not. I'm just saying that if we pause and say, "Wow," I, I hope one day they can. I don't know how would we say that. I, I think maybe culturally people aren't sure that a church has real credibility if it doesn't have a church building. I would resist that. You should too. It's not about the location. Do you hear what this preacher saying? It's not about that. It's about the people. The people make up the church. The church building or the assembly place is incidental. It doesn't really matter. It needs to be accommodative to take care of the purpose for the number of people that you have, but it is incidental. Now look at the next slide. Here's some examples of some houses. I don't know, have you, have you noticed this? So Romans 16, Priscilla and Aquila had the church in their house. Nymphos, Colossians 4.15, had a church in his house. Philemon 2, and I love this one because this is about Onesimus and the slave issue. And, and Onesimus had the church in his house. All right, number next. Here's number next. Number five. The, um, the rules... I'm going to say one more thing about that. The, ru- the rules for how a church building is to be handled are not in the New Testament. <laughs> I just think that's very funny. And it's and, I, and we're talking about it because I, I just want us to have a real grip on this. It's not about the building. And, and how you do this, what we're doing here this morning in a church building is not wrong. It's an expedient. It's because we've got 350 people assembling here. And we've got to have a place to do that. And, and nobody has a house big enough to do that. And we... There's there's logic to it, too, because we're able to do so many things as a group, and God has financially blessed us. We're able to get together, and from that, we're able to support missionaries and preaching students and benevolence and do so many wonderful things. I'm just saying that's not the only way. And it's fascinating to me that you don't have a description in the New Testament about the rules for how you take care of a church building. You don't. Nothing is there. All right, number five. They had to decide things, various things, on the first day that they met. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand. These are faithful Christians, and it's not like that they had to wrestle with how they would conduct worship or what they would preach. That's not true. I, I just mean by virtue of the fact that they are assembling for the first day. They, somebody brought the folding chairs. Somebody brought the food. Somebody brought... Uh, they set up... Now. Now, what are we going to do now that we're here? Now that we're in this house, what are we going to do? On the first day, they had to decide various things. For example, on what day will we meet? what day? Well, we're going to meet on the first day of the week. And that's because the Bible says in Acts 20 and verse 7, that's what the first century church did. On the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and he continued his speech until midnight. They decided that. Will we meet any other time? Well, yes. Why? Well, because that's how the New Testament church did. They would meet at other times. You go to Acts chapter 12 and... Peter is released from prison miraculously, and he knew where to go. He went to the house of Mary, John Mark's mother, because he knew that that's where the Christians would be praying. Not all the Christians, but that's where the Christians were assembling that night, praying. So yes, we'll find other times in the week to assemble, and we'll find a place to assemble. Will worship leaders be both men and women? If we're going to start a new congregation, doesn't that make sense? Because we need to make a church that's with it. No, that's not what they did. What they did was go to the New Testament. And, you you know, you go to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12, and you read that women are to be silent. Women are not to be the leaders in the congregations. And it's not about culture. It doesn't matter. Culture doesn't matter. never will. This transcends all of that. It's just about what the Bible says. When you go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, you read about leaders in the church. If it's the church of Christ, then this is how it's got to be done. The leaders have to be men because in both elders and deacons, the Bible says, they have to be the husbands of one wife, and a woman can never do that. Not biblically. And what things will we do each week in worship to our Creator? Now, this won't surprise you, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but they do in worship just what we did in worship this morning. So they sing because that's what Ephesians 5.19 says. They sing, and it's congregational a cappella singing. That's what you find in the New Testament. They're singing to themselves and psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in their hearts to the Lord. But it's congregational. They eat the Lord's Supper first because 1 Corinthians 11 declares that's what they should do. And it's the unleavened bread and fruit of the vine. And guess how often it's those two things? And the answer is always because that's what the Lord's Supper is. And they eat the Lord's Supper Every time a first day of the week rolls around because that's what the New Testament says. They give up their means. And First Corinthians 16 says that, verse 2, that they're to do that every first day of the week. To lay by and store and so that, so that when they have a need they don't have to take a special collection. They've already got the money laid by. They've got the money to do it. They pray because Acts 2 and 42 says that's what they should do. And they study from the Bible and have preaching, Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. They do all of those things. So, so they had to decide. But the decision really was made when they said the Bible is going to be our guide. Now, here's one more. This is number six, the last one. is that they call themselves the Guadalupe Valley Church of Christ. That's how they refer it to themselves. Now, that decision had to be made. And so what they did was to borrow from the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and verse 2, he said uh, that this was the church of God at Corinth. So he refers to the church of God, which is the church of Christ. It's the same thing. The church of God at Corinth. And that's, that's what we did here. This is the West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence. Now, all, all that is is to, is to identify the area in which we serve, in which we work. This is where we are. We're the West Huntsville Church in Providence. It's descriptive, and incidentally, the West Huntsville Church—that's a pretty big piece of real estate. We, we've been in existence for 120 years. We have very few charter members now. 120 years, and we we exist on the west side of town. And now it's called the Providence area. So that's what, that's what they did. They, they referred to themselves as the, the Guadalupe, and that's how you pronounce it, Valley Church of Christ. Now you wouldn't have to call it the Church of Christ. You wouldn't have to do that. I think that's clear and that's helpful in some ways, but you wouldn't have to. In 1 Corinthians 1-2, Paul calls it the Church of God. In Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, God's given Jesus to be the head for all things to the church, which is his body. Could you call it the body of Christ? Mm. Yeah, good. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 15, he calls it the, the house of God. Could you call it the house of God? You could. That's what he called it. Romans 16, 16 calls it the church of Christ. The churches of Christ salute you. And so they took the Scripture and they said, we'll refer to it as the Guadalupe Valley Church of Christ. So there you are. I, I'm not preaching this sermon in any way to say that what we're doing here this morning is not right. I believe it's perfectly consistent with Scripture. I just want you to be impressed with the fact it doesn't have to be done this way in reference to our building and all, all the all the things we've talked about today. this What they're doing is scriptural and right. In the Bible, the the place that the church meets to worship is incidental. And why is that true? Go into into your mind and, and probe that. Why is it true? Why must it be that way? And the answer is because the church is going to exist in all different kinds of places in the world. All different kinds of places. It needs to be. You find the place. You just find the place. That's what. And it needs to be accommodative to the purpose that you have at hand. But you could choose it. you choose how that will be. In Huntsville, Alabama, this is what has been chosen. We've chosen as the best circumstance for what we've got, the number of people we've got, the work that we do. Church is the people. The church can exist and flourish and do well if it's a small number in a community like this we're describing And they just meet in houses and they don't have a regular preacher and they do the work of the Lord. And there is they're ever a bit as much a church of Christ as we are. Now there's your fundamental sermon for this morning. So glad that you're here. I'm so glad you are. And I'm so glad if you're visiting with us that you've come today and I hope that you will always feel welcome when you come to our assembly and if you'd like to study the Bible about how to become a Christian, we'll do that. You can take the scriptures and go home and ponder them and see. <clears throat> Make sure that what we're preaching and teaching really is the scripture. It's really what the Bible says. And, and we'll be happy to study with you. And you can obey the gospel when you're ready. Repent of your sins and confess Jesus and be baptized. The Bible says he'll add you to his church. that's the church of Christ. That's the church that, I mean, it belongs to him. It's the church that Jesus was talking about when he said, on this rock, I'll build my church. Now, if you're here this morning and you're already a Christian, but you need the prayers of the Christians, we want to just make it known right now that that we'll stop what we're doing and we'll pray for you. It's a great time to do that. Is there somebody who wants the prayers of the church? And maybe you need to let the church know that you've strayed away and you want to come back and be restored, and we'll be so happy to welcome you back. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.